here's the question to get you thinking on this warm Sunday evening. Are you, are you a good person? Are you a good person? Put your hand up if you would say you are a good person. Okay, Tim's got double hands up, so he definitely isn't. Um, it's interesting, it's interesting to see people's reactions. Because often one of the most common things that people say, and maybe you've heard this, is that Christians are good people. Have you ever heard that? that phrase? Oh yeah, Christians are good people. Maybe they'll say it like this. I'm a Christian. I mean, I don't kind of believe all the stuff, but I try to live a good life. Maybe you've said that yourself. Or sometimes when people are asked, who goes to heaven? What's one of the most common answers? Good people. And obviously the implication of that being, I'm a good person, so I'm going there. And is that the message of Christianity? Is that the message of Jesus? No, the message of Jesus is that God knew that you and I could not be good enough, could not live the perfect life that we needed to live to get into heaven. And rather than just wash his hands of us and say, Psh, I'm done with those people. I'm just, you know, I'm going to leave them to it. They can just kind of ruin their own lives. God came himself. He sent his son. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. He died the death, paid the punishment that we could never pay. And as we've heard time and time during the worship with his final breath, what did he say? It is finished. And when he said that, he said, every act, every good thing that needed to be done to earn salvation has now been accomplished. It is finished. And so that now means that the only thing that you and I have to do to know God, to be with him for eternity, to know salvation and freedom from sin, is to have faith, to believe and to trust in his finished work. And when you get your head around that, it really is a scandal. See, every gift, everything that we get in life comes at a cost, doesn't it? A gift so big as this, I mean, you think, okay, what, what, okay, what do I actually need to do? Like, how many kind of years of good works? How many sort of things do I need to earn that? And Jesus' death on the cross says, it is finished. Nothing left for you and I to do to earn that, except put our faith in Jesus. And so the reality is there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. And nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Crazy. And a lot of people would love if this sermon finished just there. <laughs> Mainly because three minutes is about your optimum sermon length. Maybe two minutes for some of you. But I think some of us would like for the meeting to, the sermon to just finish there because that's kind of a nice, tidy message. You know, I've used that slogan many times, nothing you can do to make God love you more, nothing you can do to make him love you less. Because it's true, it is, it's amazing. But James, the book we're going through at the moment, it says there's so much more to know of God. There's such a, a richness that if you just stay there and don't go deeper in the truth that you miss out on. And so we're not just going to stop there. We're going to look at the truth of God's love and what it means to have faith in Jesus tonight. And we're going to be reading from James chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible with you, turn there now. The words will come up on the, the screen as well. And James is going to give us three different examples of lives of faith. And as we're doing that, I just encourage you, as we're looking at each different one, have a think at your own faith, your own heart, and say, you know what? Can I recognize, with, recognize any of these kind of stories or examples in my own life? So starting off in James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, 
If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So this first example that James is giving us isn't a specific person. He's not naming a certain person in a church, like name and shame. He's, just, he's probably talked to a few people in churches he's been to. And they've said sentences like the ones he shared here, expressed sentiments like the ones he shares in this opening section. And these people are kind of all talk people. I mean, have you ever met them? Have you ever met the type of people who give it a lot of chat but can't back it up? Have you ever met any of them? You know, kind of like talk a good game but don't really kind of have anything to prove that what they're saying is true. So it's a bit like for me when I was in school, there's always a kid who normally was a Man U fan who you would say to him, oh, mate, um, what team do you support? And they'd be like, oh, Man United. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Um, so who, who's your favorite player? And there's always, oh, David Beckham. Yeah, 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 Bex. Like, okay, cool, yeah, great. Um, um, and what about uh, any other players, any other players than Bex? Um, uh, well, I just, uh, I kind of like, I like the whole team. You know, they're all good. Yeah, they're all great. Love the whole, whole lot. And, ah, oh, oh, mate, do you see that Giggsy goal that he, um, he scored dribbling from the halfway line? Um, oh, I, I, mate, maybe. I'm like, mate, it was one of the best goals of all time. Oh, yeah, I, I think I saw it. All talk fans. And James is saying that a lot of Christians or people who claim to be Christians can be just like that. See, they talk a good game. They know the Christianese. They know what you're supposed to say, someone's got a need. So what do you do? Pray. Go in peace, brother. Be warmed and filled. You're a community. Someone's like, oh, you know what, guys? I'm, I'm kind of struggling at the moment to pay off my rent or my electricity bill. And you're like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do here. Oh, just, I just gonna, can I just pray for you? God, would you provide? Provide for them. And you have the means to pay it, and you're just praying a prayer. And James is saying, if you truly believe something... You're going to do something about it. See, your words can't feed someone. Your good wishes aren't going to fill the food bank. Because when you believe something, it affects your behavior. When you believe something, it affects your behavior. And so, faith without works is dead. Dead. James doesn't mince his words. He's not saying, well, you know, you're probably struggling a little bit as a Christian if that's the case. Or maybe you're a little bit lukewarm. He says, faith without works is dead. And so, if you find yourself regularly saying the phrase, and I've heard this countless times, I believe, but it doesn't really affect my life, then James says, your faith, what's the equivalent? You're the same as demons. His words, same as demons. See, they believe in God. They know that God is one. They've even got some good theology but hasn't changed how they act. It says in the Bible, you'll know a tree by its fruit. 
So a good tree bears good fruit. Our works are a natural overflow of knowing all that God has done for us. See, when you know, a bit like what was talked about in the worship, when you know what Jesus has given to you, you just can't help but give it away. When you start to grasp just how much he loves you, you can't help but love others. In the Bible it says we love because he first loved us. See, when we get that Jesus has forgiven us of everything. When you, just, just now, even for a second, think. When you have given your life to God, that he has forgiven you of every sin you've ever done in the past, every sin you did today, everything you did last night, you'd be ashamed that anyone knew about, everything you're going to do tomorrow. Jesus has forgiven every sin. When you know that, how can you not forgive that person who's offended you? How can you hold on to a grudge when Jesus says, everything you've ever done, I forgive you. I can't help but forgive in response. See, works without, uh, faith without works is dead because it's a response to a knowing of all that Jesus has done for us. Why do you think it is that the church is the biggest source of food banks or the biggest source of foster parents or adoptive parents? Why do you think it is that Christians were the ones who were the pioneers of ending slavery and starting up the hospitals and schools? Because when you know you've been given everything, you can't help but give it away. Christians don't just talk the talk or send good wishes. They're people of faith, and faith leads to works. And the harsh truth that James presents to us, but so important, he's saying this harshly because it's the most caring thing he could say, and it's this. If your life is no different from a non-Christian, from someone who doesn't claim to follow Jesus, if the way in which you spend your time, your money, the, the way in which you think, the way in which you speak is no different than someone who isn't a Christian, apart from maybe an hour and a half on a Sunday night, then James would say, your faith is dead. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. There's no part of your life when you've encountered Jesus that isn't changed by his love, by his grace. Faith without works is dead because Jesus changes everything. So how do we have a faith that lives? Nice heavy start to kind of get you depressed on a Sunday night. Well, thankfully, James doesn't just stay there. He gives us two examples of people with faith and how we can model our lives on them. So first of all, we've got Abraham. So turn in your Bibles to verse 20. Again, the verse is up on the screen. It says this. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, so you see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says... Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So you need to know a bit about Abraham's story to get the context of what James is saying. So the story of Abraham is that he heard from God. God said to him, I want to move you to a new land, and you're going to be a mighty nation. And the first thing to point out is Abraham heard from God. It was God's initiative. 
So all of this, everything we're talking about with faith and, you know, responding, it's not us, you know, whipping something else. It's us responding to the voice of God. So that's just straight off the bat. Let's be clear on that. Secondly, God said, move, but then Abraham responded. And if you read through his story in Genesis, it's really interesting to read through. Every time God says, do this, the next verse is always, so Abraham. So Abraham went, so Abraham moved, so Abraham rose. Every time God said, go and do this, Abraham did it. And he could have just said, okay, when God said, I want you to move to this new land, and you know, you've been in where you've lived for 75 years, I want you to move to a new place that you don't know. He could have said, I love what you're doing, God. I really believe in that vision. Amazing message, amazing vision. I'm really behind that. You know, I'm I'm happy to get the prayer newsletter. Um, I'll set up a standing order. If there's like a little offering, let me know. But, you know, it's it's kind of not pray for me. It's not, you know, I I don't want to go myself, but I'm fully behind all you're doing. Now, Abraham said, if you're calling me, I'm going to go. But then God asked him, Something that he'd never, ever imagined he'd be asked. And James refers to it in the passage we read. And you need to to understand, again, the backstory with Moses. So God's been promising him year after year, you're going to have a child. And he is going to be the first step of a long chain that's going to lead to a great nation. See, the problem was, Abraham and his wife Sarah couldn't conceive And so year after year, they're thinking, okay, this is going to be the year where God answers his promise. And and then another year passes and still no pregnancy. And they say, no, no, I really am faith this year, you know, another year. And God's going to give us that child. Another year passes in nothing. And another year, another disappointment, another year, another disappointment. Just chalking off on the calendar every year where there's disappointment after disappointment. And finally, after 25 years, Sarah gets pregnant. Can you just imagine how she'd feel that first time, that, that kick in her, her womb? 25 years of waiting, just that first feeling, then holding the baby in her arms. Can you just imagine what would be going through your head, holding that promise, 25 years on in your arms? And then they raise the child, and it learns to walk, and it's first words, and they're laughing with it, and they love it. It's their pride and joy. And then one day, one day God says, I want you to give up your one and only son whom you love. What do you reckon would be going through your head at that moment? What's going on in your heart when you hear that from God? See, maybe for you it's harder to relate to a child. Maybe for you it's a relationship. And you just love to be married. And you're waiting year after year. I can understand this myself. Like you want to be married and you long for that day. And year after year you wait. And then one day you meet the one. And you're hanging out and you're developing a relationship and it's amazing. You're just about to pop the question. And God says, I want you to give it up. How do you reckon you'd feel? Or maybe for you, you want to buy a house. You've been waiting for year after year. You're saving money. You're sacrificing, not going on holidays and putting money away in a savings account. Finally, in this crazy housing market, you finally get enough money to get a house. And you refurb it and you get out a new decking and repaint those horrible pink walls and put up your own little pictures of your family and all that. And it's your home and you love it and you've just finished that final lick of paint, planning the housewarming. And God says, 
I want you to give it away. How do you reckon you'd feel? See, a lot of us, we love singing, we love talking, we love saying all the right things. In worship, we'll sing things like, I surrender all. I'm giving you my life. I'm laying down my rights. We've all sung that. We love it. But there's always the little kind of asterisks at the end, isn't there? It's like, I'll give you everything, but not my job. <laughs> I'll give you everything, but I really would like to be married at some point. And you're kind of not doing things how I'd like, so I might kind of shortcut your plans for me and shortcut what you say about sex and, and dating and all that stuff. Because I know you're good, but kind of this is, this is my area. See, for Abraham... He sang those things. He said, I surrender all. So when God says to him, I want you to give up your son, what does it say in verse 3? So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. The question of Abraham's life is will you have faith in God? Earlier in worship, we sang over and over, you are good, good, good father. All these things we're saying, you are good. Do you trust that God is good? See, Abraham, as he took, just imagine that walk up to the mountain with his son in this word, and his son's wondering what on earth is going on. See, in that moment, he had to know beyond all certainty that God is good. I don't know how he's going to get me out of this situation. But I know that he is good and I trust him and have faith that one way or another he is going to save my son whom he promised to me. Do you know that God is good? And just as I was preparing this message, I really got this sense from the Holy Spirit that there's some people here today who you know that God wants to use you. In fact, you might even have something specific that you're like, I feel like God wants to use me in this area. I just feel like God's called me to certain things. But there's this area of your life that you say, I, I, I give you everything, but I, that's just the one thing, God. Can we get past that? And God's saying today, will you surrender all to me? Will you have faith that I am good? Let's keep reading. So you about Rahab, another fascinating story. Verse 25 And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? That as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This again is one of the craziest stories in the Bible. It's like something out of a film. So the story of Rahab is the people of Israel, the people of God, were spying out on the city of Jericho, far greater, far stronger than they had themselves, and it looked like there'd be no chance of taking it. But they send in two spies on a little espionage mission, and these spies get into the city and end up trying to find cover, and end up knocking on the door of a random person. They open the door, and it's Rahab. And rather than Rahab shout and scream or report them to soldiers... She welcomes them in because she'd seen the God of Israel at work and knew that he was going to be victorious and that he could save her. She didn't just say, oh, guys, yeah, I've heard about you. I've heard about your God. Um, All the best. Um, Good luck. I'll be praying. Hashtag pray for Israel. 
She risked her life to house and hide these two spies because she knew that God would save her. She knew that God was good. And the best thing about the story of Rahab is that she was a prostitute. See, James goes out of the way to remind us of that. The readers didn't need that. If you'd have just said Rahab, anyone who knows Rahab in the Bible, even readers today know, oh yeah, she's the prostitute from Jericho. But what does he say? He reminds us, he says, Rahab the prostitute. Why? Because he's trying to remind us that it doesn't matter your history, your baggage, the things you've done that you're ashamed of, the things from your past that say, you know, God could never use me. James is saying that God can use anyone. See, if it had just been the story of Abraham, you might have thought, hmm, yeah, that's cool, John, but Abraham was, um, you know, this father of the faith. You know, he's kind of a big dog in, in major world religions. Like, yeah, of course, you know, he can do all that stuff, but not so much me. But the story of Rahab is, and let's, let's get it straight, prostitutes, it wasn't like they had a better rep back then, like it's the same as today. God used this one woman to bring a mighty victory for a whole nation. And what he's saying to you today is, what, if you think there's a certain thing in your life that is stopping you from using him, God's saying, no, no. Maybe you're saying, oh, it's my, my personality. You know, I just don't have that personality. I'm kind of very, uh, you know, I'm, I just, I don't like people. I'm into, like, kind of, I don't like being, uh, 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 you know, my history, John. Like, if you knew what I've done, if you actually knew what had happened in my past then you wouldn't say this applies to me. But God is saying it doesn't matter what your history, what your baggage, what stuff you say to hold you back. He said, I want to use you. I love that about the story of Rahab. It's such a reminder to each and every one of us that God doesn't use perfect people. And when you look at uh, the, the, the heroes of the faith, the, the faith hall of fame in Hebrews 11, just a few pages before, where it lists all these you know, like amazing people in the Bible. It lists people like Moses. By faith, he led people out of Egypt. Yet, as you would have seen in the prince of Egypt, he was a murderer. Or Noah. See, Noah is a guy who was chosen to restart humanity. The man who had so much faith, he built an ark in the middle of nowhere for an upcoming flood. And what's the very first thing he does when the flood subsides? He gets smashed. He drinks so much that he strips off naked and passes out in a tent. God used him to restart the human race. What about David? The king of Israel. The one who Jesus is named after, the son of David. Committed adultery and murdered to cover it up. These are the heroes of the Bible. These are the type of people that God wants to use. Even Abraham, the father of the faith, was full of fear, deceived people. He laughed when God said, you're going to have a kid. Even Abraham. Because it's not about God using the strong, but the weak. God chose the foolish to shame the wise. Because when you know your own sin, you see just how much you need God. It's a bit like a story in Luke chapter 7 about another prostitute. And Jesus has been invited to have dinner with a load of religious folk. And they're all hanging out, eating away. And all of a sudden the, the door bursts open and a woman runs in. She's weeping and weeping. And she runs up to Jesus. 
just gets down on the floor and starts washing his feet with her tears and with ointment and wiping his feet with her hair. And all the religious people aren't liking it. They're not happy. How can Jesus associate with a prostitute? And he knows what they're thinking, and he says this. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, a lot of us are a bit bit like those religious leaders, the Pharisees. I used to be like that, massively. I used to think that, to be honest, I know you shouldn't say this, but if you could earn salvation, I'd probably do a pretty good job at doing it. See, I was the person who never swore never drank, never did naughty stuff you weren't supposed to do. I volunteered at youth clubs and gave to charity. And I kind of thought, yeah, I get how God needs to save my mates who are kind of, you know, rebellious and naughty. But I kind of, I don't really see how that works for me. But then by God's grace, he opened my eyes to my sin and showed me just how deep it went. The pride and the greed and the the jealousy and the lust and the the anger. And I was brought to a place of realizing just how much I needed God. See, I, I used to think it was others that needed saving. And then I finally saw that I needed Jesus' grace and forgiveness as much as anyone. Have you ever been to that point? Have you ever just got to that place a bit like those two women, the two different prostitutes who know they didn't deserve their sins forgiven. And yet, God forgave them anyway of everything. See, just the more, you know, even in recent, I've been a Christian for years now, but even in recent weeks, I was just struck again by the complete scandal of it all that just everything, it's not just kind of like I used to sin in my past and now I've got things sorted. <laughs> not at all. And yet Jesus still forgives me and still says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. See, when you know just how much you've been forgiven, it's not a question of, oh, do I need to give to church? Oh, do I need to be a part of a community? Oh, do I need to serve whatever you said? Jesus, you have done everything for me. What can I do for you? See, until you get to that place, you won't understand what it means to be loved by God and to love others. So I just want to encourage you tonight, if maybe you think, like I used to, that you're a good person, that you can earn salvation, say to God tonight, the scariest prayer you ever pray, God, show me my sin and my need of you. It will transform your life. It's going to lead to worship, and it's going to lead to works. See, we could, we could spend the rest of tonight doing a 10-point strategy of, of how you can, you know, be a better worker and all that. That would be completely pointless. The reason that faith without works is dead is because your faith is dead. It's not a works issue. And so if you're struggling to work and to do the things you want to do, 
Come to Jesus again tonight. Come to him and say, God, I want to know your grace, your mercy, your love, and I want to give it away. Because Jesus didn't just say, I love you. He showed it. Because in the story of Abraham, we read earlier, Abraham's son was spared. God was never going to have Isaac killed. He stopped it from happening. But what he didn't stop was when his own son was on the cross. As he hung there, taking every sin that you and I have ever done on himself. Just the more we look at that picture, we just say, Jesus, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? It's, it's pointless us just working out how can we be better Christians, how can we do that. All we want to do is be better worshippers. We just want to say, I love you, Jesus. What can I do for you? Thank you, Lord. Romans 8.32, it says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God didn't spare his own son, how much more does he want to give to you? So you're nervous about, I don't know if I can give over that relationship to God. Can I really trust him? Well, he, he gave everything for you. I'm not sure if I can, we've got an offering coming up soon. And every time James talks about how we're going to you know, pray about what money I should give, I kind of flinch and say, nah, you know, I'm going to kind of switch off that idea. Come to Jesus who gave everything for you. You don't have to work out, should I, shouldn't I? It's just, oh, how much, God? Every week, we keep hearing this phrase, be hearers and doers of the word. And it'd be silly if we heard a whole talk on faith that works being dead, if there wasn't an element of response for us this evening. And so in a bit, I'd just actually like to invite the, the band up now. We're going to have a chance to respond this evening. And it is something that you can do in your own heart. And to be honest, for many of us, it's things we have to do out there that's got to change. You've got to get before God and say, I want to check my heart before you and say, God, I want to have a faith that comes out of response of knowing all you've done for me. But I think for many of us, actually tonight is a moment to make a declaration that says, I want to declare a faith in God. Maybe for the first time, maybe for some of you, you heard the story of the kind of all talk person. And you know what, for me, my life doesn't really look that different from just a Sunday evening to anyone else who wouldn't claim to know Jesus. Maybe for you, a bit like Abraham, you know that God wants to use you, but there's just that one area of your life that you're struggling to surrender. Jesus saying, come, lay it down at the cross tonight. Maybe for you, you're like Rahab, and every time you're thinking about doing a new thing for God, leading a group, being part of a community, serving, whatever it is, there's always that niggling thing, the, the devil whispering in your ear, yeah, but people might find out about this, or sorry, God can use you with all that dirt and filth. And Jesus is saying, I have made you clean, and I want to use you. So whether it's, Referring to, you know, responding to Jesus for the first time or saying, God, I want to step out in faith tonight to say I want to be used by you. Or if it's saying, God, I've been held back by my past and I know that's not what you have for me. 